Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode 142 of the Sports Podcast. Anthony and Tim joining you here today. Going to probably be primarily a baseball-centric podcast because, well, that's what's going on. I will talk a little GDFL with you. Uh, tell you about what's going on and my experiences the last couple weeks with that. Matter of fact, I have a game coming up uh, this Saturday, which is tomorrow as we record this on a Friday on the 17th. So uh, actually, it's not tomorrow. It's, it's two days from mm-hmm. now. But needless to say, we'll talk about that. And uh, we'll also uh, just see where what our conversation takes us. And once again, I want to thank... Uh, both James Dodson and Gemma Bastiani for being guests last week's on the podcast. Uh, had a good feedback on both. So uh, please, uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, please do let us know what you think. And uh, much appreciated. With that in mind, it's now time to bring in my partner and friend, Anthony Kepley. Yes, yeah, nice to be back. And uh, it's finally starting to feel consistently like baseball weather. We're on the back patio again. Um, the humidity has subsided for a little bit, but then it was followed by torrential monsoons and 40-degree weather there for a little bit, and now it seems like we're starting to get into the uh, summer weather that we all like. Yeah, yeah it is. It's starting to resemble in sum- summer, and you know, it's starting to be that time of the year mm-hmm. uh, where everyone wants to be outside doing things, and you know, hopefully... Uh, Good things will continue to break our way mm-hmm. as we uh, move forward uh, from COVID, and I know there's still potential problems in the future. But let's let's go on the bright side. You know, baseball is wide open now, and mm-hmm. all the yes, all the communities are at full except strength. for Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh's July first, I think. I think you're right. They have not. Uh, Which the Indians not... play this weekend in yes. Pittsburgh. Yes, they do. It's uh, a very. It's a one of the few trips we get out there. We don't get to play them much. Usually. Yeah, about every Once three every to five years. years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's so, not often. No. Which, uh, my honest opinion, it's not going to change, but I think Pittsburgh should be our rival we play every year instead of Cincinnati. But Cincinnati, we've played for decades. So yeah. Not... I, you're caught in between two National League yeah. teams. Obviously, the Pittsburgh-Cleveland rivalry is always there. Mm-hmm. So you can make that Mm-hmm. That connection yep. and in Northeast Ohio, obviously, that's easy to do. Uh, the Cleveland Cincinnati thing goes back, as you said, yes, decades yeah. back before interleague play, uh, when they used to have the the game, the exhibition game yep. in Columbus, and all that. So, all right, we're back. Well, I'll see how this looks at anyways. But we were talking about the the Pittsburgh rivalry mm-hmm. with uh, Cleveland in general. But yeah, I could see. If Major League Baseball or if the Indians and the Pirates mm-hmm. agreed and, you know, the whole thing, you could put that together as a, as a alternate every other year yeah. type thing. Uh, where one year's in Pittsburgh, one year's in, in Cleveland. Cleveland yeah. A two, three game series. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an advantage to that. Uh, yeah, you put those games in the summer and you'd have big crowds for both games. Oh, sure. And I think especially in Pittsburgh would help them yes. tremendously. And I think that's one reason why this year the games, when they made the schedule, mm-hmm. knowing that this was happening, they would be in Pittsburgh, not in Cleveland. Not that it has to be the opposite. Yeah. But since you're playing Central Division games again, mm-hmm. last year you did the same thing, but because there was no one in yeah. attendance, it didn't really matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. 
But this year, uh, you know, obviously we played the Cubs and we we played, you know, the Central Division in the National League. You know, the Reds, who we play every year, mm-hmm. and everybody else. So I, there's a way around it. I'm not sure baseball's smart enough to figure it out because baseball kind of trips over. a lot over. of problems. Yeah, they just trip over their yes. own feet. They they like to trip over their own feet and they like to kick the can down the road. Yeah, oh God, yes. If there's a sport that loves to kick the can down the road, and then when they get to the can, trip over it, it's Major League Baseball. Oh, 100%. 100% agree. So the Indians are 10 games above 500 after today's win. They swept Baltimore in Cleveland, a four-game series, first time since 1988. Yeah. yeah, so uh, the Indians are on a roll. Uh, their pitching staff is down. Uh, to one starting pitcher from the beginning of the season. Do you have your glove ready? They might need you. Oh, I might. <laughs> you know, I I, I got a okay. little bum elbow right now, but I'm ready Can to go. Can you give them mind. an inning? I might give Can them a pitcher. The inning? I might be able to give them a pitcher. Oh, uh, Rob Manfred doesn't like that. He <laughs> wants you to pitch three batters. Oh no, no. Uh, I'm that left-handed specialist. <laughs> and they don't. <laughs> And because of this new crappy rule, you really don't have left-handed specials anymore. Which I know, I know. It's, again, I love baseball, but... There are some dumb rules. Yeah, they're, they're really not taking care of the game itself. Um, I, I We could get into that discussion. I mean, we've talked about it before. We're both not fans of seven inning ball games in double headers. Mm. We're you know, obviously I'm okay a seven inning game if it were the makeup game. If you're having a double header, the originally scheduled game be a nine inning game, and then if you want to have the makeup game be seven innings, that's fine. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, but, I agree. That's the way it used to be in minor league baseball yes, for years. Yep. Uh they used to play a double header. The mm-hmm. first game would mm-hmm. be the full length game, mm-hmm. second game would be not, Se- seven yeah. innings. And that went away like 25 years ago or so. And yeah. now, you know, here we are. A lot of these rules that you see in baseball are just frustrating. But that's a purist in, in mind to a certain degree. I mean, obviously, everyone knows I, I'm i in favor of the DH. The DH will be here next year. Needs to be. Needs it, to be. it has to be. It's, it's kind of foolish. We've already seen players get hurt who are pitchers swinging the bat this year. And then nationally. Let me ask you this, since we're on that topic. I know it showed no side effects. And he scored a run. And he had a sacrifice. Do you think Bieber swinging the bat, three at-bats, throwing 100 pitches, going for eight innings against St. Louis, played into his injury some? It's possible. I couldn't tell you that without um, talking to him. And Would you be in favor of this? Of like the re-entry rule they use in spring training. Where if you want to have them hit in the early in the game and then fourth, you know, fifth, sixth, and he's up again, take him out. But if he's still pitching well, you know. I just rather see the DH. Yeah, the DH. Yeah, I just rather see the DH. I rather see a professional career at the plate. There are the exceptions to the rule the Otanis of the world. And, you know, there are pitchers who can perform at the plate. And if that's a manager's decision... Then fine. And I have no problem with it. 
if you have a player who you want, who you believe offensively helps your team yep. and does not deter from your game schedule and your game yes. philosophy, then go I'm for off. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no problem with it. But there's not that many that can do that. Most of them would rather just protect their arms because yep. that's, that's their golden goose, yeah. and it needs to be. It's just like, can you imagine if you took the bat out of the hands of certain players because they play a certain position and other than mm-hmm. pitcher? You know, it would make it would be utterly insane to you know to mm-hmm. to take the bat out of Mike Trout's hand because he's playing center field today. You know, yeah. uh, it'd be kind of it'd be insanity. But as a pitcher, he they a starting pitcher plays once a week. Yes. You know, every five games. So, do you really want five different batters? No. You know, and different levels of batters, where you can have a young player have a chance to play, or a veteran continue to play. Yes. And it's just better for baseball. And you're seeing how managers today use the DH much differently than they did. They used to be, traditionally. Yeah. You know, you would try to find a veteran power hitter yes. and yep. an RBI guy. And, you know, the Jim Tomies of the world, you know, where Vaughn, Jim Tommy, Frank Thomas. Now yeah. it's about getting guys. They, right. they, they get to a point where they can't really play in the field on an everyday basis. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, he's been a National League guy most of his career. Well, but. Than yeah. with the Angels the last ten years, yeah. I mean, play primarily first base. But I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of them out there who can do it. So, yeah, I, I I rather see a professional hitter out there. You know, I'll say this, and it um, it's really caught my attention the last couple games. Um, and my comment is not. I'm going to use Baltimore as my example because they're our most recent opponent. But this is not a shot at Baltimore. This is a league-wide thing. Rob Manfred's big thing is speeding up the games. Making it... He doesn't want the three, three-and-a-half-hour games. He wants them over two, two-and-a-half-hours. Um, you want to speed the games up? You don't need a pitch clock. You don't need all this and that. These teams have got to field the baseball better and throw more strikes. Baltimore committed near 10 errors this series. I mean, four on Tuesday when I was there. They had three yesterday, I think. Um, and that doesn't include the the errors that they did not score. The one Monday night where he fell down in left field, they didn't score without an error. Uh, Cedric Mullins had two on Tuesday alone in one play, the only game one. So um, the mental errors also. You want to speed the game up? These players have just got to be better. The base running bl- the Orioles last night and this is not a Baltimore thing because Pittsburgh did it, the Cubs did it I've seen this year, and the Indians botched it too. You can't actually get a rundown. Um, These teams have just got to be better fundamentally. I know they were talking last weekend on the network. That's really on the base running has got to be better yeah, too. That's really on the organizational yes, it is. strength. It is. Yes, it is. It really comes down to organizational strength and how they teach players and how they get them ready mm-hmm. to play at the major league level. Baltimore, for the last 10 years, has been terrible. Is, yeah, they're just not a good they're organization. Terrible. They're just not. 
They're not a good organization no, from top to bottom. They do develop players, but they don't. They're not able to keep them. There's some nice players, yeah. Well, well Trey Mancini's a he's good a player. Stud. I mean, obviously, you know, he's a story among himself. And you said a couple years ago, before he had cancer, right? That he looked really good in uh, first base or left field for the Indians, uh, batting third or fourth. Uh, he's huh. he's a professional. I mean, he is really good, and he doesn't have the protection in the lineup outside Mullins. Mullins is a stud. Right. I mean, they get some young players. The problem with Mount them... Mountcastle's good. Right. The problem is you have to develop the entire yes. player, both offensively and, and defensively, defensively. Yep. and you have to have a philosophy in your system to go. I mean, back when I was young, as a young boy and mm-hmm. teenager, the Indians were a mess. Mm-hmm. All the time, they would have players come and go, and as management would change, mm-hmm. philosophies would change. Yep. It wasn't until Hank Peters came over to Cleveland that the Indians got an organizational mm-hmm. structure to build from the bottom up of how what type of team they were going to be. It's evolved over the mm-hmm. years, and that's why they are where they are today. But the turnaround of the Cleveland Indians from the hapless teams that they were when I was young to what the organization is today started with Hank Peters, who came over from Baltimore. At the time, Baltimore, Baltimore was, was one, one of the, the best, best organizations yes. run in baseball. Now they're not. When you look at Baltimore, you look at Arizona, you look at Colorado. Yeah, the the New York Mets to a certain level. Yep. Now we'll see where they go mm-hmm. with new ownership yep. and new direction that they're on. But when you lack that top directional leadership, it may not show up right away, but sooner or later it does. Mm-hmm. And when you have it, or you're willing to do things that are untraditional to your market, like, mm-hmm. for example, the Detroit Tigers back mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years ago when they were very good. Yes. Well, they had an ownership yep, who spent, said it, yes. who's gonna, said that they're going to do whatever they could to win. Yep. And they did, and they were very successful. They didn't end up winning a World Series, but they were really... They got re- the one or yeah, two, right? they yeah. got the couple of them, and they yeah. were very good. So, again, not a... If you have ownership is willing to do that, changes yep. the ball game. If you have to start over and build, it takes time. And it, you know, Houston was a perfect example yeah. of that. And it they, more too. Well, Houston was a perfect example of that because they looked at the system, mm-hmm. and even though they're a big market team mm-hmm. in America, they chose five, six years, seven years ago to start losing ball games yes. to buy, get draft picks. And they drafted terrifically. Oh, yes, they did. And they've built a program. They built an organization where they are today. Now, you could talk about all the the cheating scandals and everything else that's gone on, but that's a different story about mm-hmm. how they were built. Every team has its own, and baseball has its own way of building a team. Uh, obviously, you see, in my opinion, the marks of, Mark Shapiro in Toronto yes. in the last few years and how he and the the people he brought over from Cleveland to Toronto mm-hmm. have influenced their decision making over the last five years. And you can see how Toronto's on the verge of the becoming beam, yes. one of the best teams in baseball. So it really depends when you see bad baseball, it's probably in my opinion a mark on a bad organization yes. structure from top Pittsburgh. to bottom. Or a 
or a structure that does not stick together long. Like Arizona has gone through three or yes. four different changes. Yep. Baltimore has an owner who's really old mm-hmm. and has not really put the organization at the highest level in the last 10 years. You go back in the mid-90s when Cal Ripken yes. was still there, that was still a good organization that was trying to win. Uh, you know, the Buck Water era, he did a phenomenal, did a phenomenal job, job for the for the talent that he had, had but it was never going to compete for on a, a yearly series, yeah. basis in the American League East. You look at the the Rays in Tampa and how that phenomenal. that is a great organization. Yep. They have a philosophy, they have a style, they have a belief, they stick to it, and they get value for their players. Mm-hmm. They don't make bad trades. As good as the Indians are on that Mac and really bad trades, the, the Rays, Rays are, are even the better. They're incredible. You just look look at how the Rays are run, and you look at now Boston being run by a guy who came up through that yep. organization, and you look at the Dodgers who had a player you know, whose, whose organization was run diff, now differently mm-hmm. that came through the Boston and yep. all, everything else. So you're seeing those imprints on certain organizations, and you're seeing the exact type thing. Uh you're seeing the restraints of the Yankees in yes. the last five years yep. take a toll. Even though they have a high payroll, they have players that maybe that necessarily are performing to the level yes, of the, the payroll, payroll that they have. And now they're in this situation where they don't have the pitching that they once were developing. And that's where the key for them, when they had their big run 20 years ago. They had pitching. They yep. had pitching coming through the system, both in the bullpen and as starting pitching. And then they influenced with the money spent to bring in veterans who made a huge difference and kept them viable for Mm -hmm. all those years. Now we're seeing a Yankees organization that lacks that ability to do the exact same thing. Obviously, you know, Steinbrenner's death changed that organization. But this is what goes on. They're still a $200 million payroll, the difference is now they don't go over the threshold. And they've gotten players like Stan, who is a fantastic player when healthy, but, but has healthy. he really yeah. lived up to his contract? No. And you would say no. So, I mean, baseball has a lot of diff ins and out. Uh, you look at the Indians you know, lineup today. Here, Anthony, look at the Indians lineup today. He had Zimmer lead off at, in center field. You had Ahmad Rosario at shortstop. You had Jose Ramirez at DH. You had Eddie Rosario in left field. Bradley at first base. They had to bring up their second catcher from Columbus yes. this week uh, in Lavarway. And he, he was two for four, right? Yeah. <laughs> a veteran, a 13 year veteran in major leagues. Uh, and then you have Naylor in left, uh, Chang playing third base, Clement at second base. Uh, it's just it's amazing what the Indians organization has done. They've gone through a lot of players. Some of them have, some of them have missed. You know, obviously Bowers was a miss. Mm-hmm. We knew that chances of him hitting was slim coming into this year, but they had to find out, and they did. What in the process? I mean, you look at how Bradley's reacted in the first ten games as he's been. With the Indians, phenomenal four home runs and four home uh, runs and 
What, 10 RBIs, RBIs now? Yeah, 10 RBIs. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, obviously, I don't expect him to stay at that level, but we're seeing what production looks like. The thing that has impressed me is we know the swing and miss is there, and he's shown it. Um, two things have impressed me about Bobby Bradley. A, or three things. A, the physical makeover. He uh, he he committed himself to losing the 30 to 35 pounds, getting in shape, um, but still maintaining that muscle. Two is his mental makeup of, I, de- I deserve to be here, and I'm one of the guys now. I belong here. I'm not a minor leaguer just here for a cup of coffee and going to be sent back down. And three is his approach, which is refreshing to watch because a lot of guys in baseball want to pull everything. He's okay taking the pitch to the opposite field. And his home run today, I believe, is left center field. Right. Um, we'll see how that... Yeah, so it's only 10 games. It's a small sample size. However, yes, those are encouraging signs to see. You know, uh, But look at how the Indians organization is built. You look what they did. They went... They've always made the decision that catching is not an offensive position. Catching's always been a defensive position to handle the pitching staff. Perez, even you go back with with, with Gomes, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, their defense is what got them on the field. Their offense was a bonus. And then you see Perez go down, and you had who? You had Hedges backing him up. I mean, a very good defensive catcher. I disagree with that. Oh, he's very good. He's terrible. He is the worst catcher we've had in a long time. <laughs> he he is the worst game caller the Indians have had. And well, I'm sorry. I disagree he's with you on that on this level alone. In the end, the pitcher chose chooses the pitch. Yes, but with the young pitcher, it's more what he says is what we're going to throw. Um, and evidence last week we're playing St. Louis. We have two outs in the bottom of the first. We're up to nothing. Now the Colonels got some action on. And this guy decides to call six straight sliders to a point where Matt Underwood, who's very mild-mannered usually, even was saying, why are we calling six straight sliders when he only throws it 4.6% of the time? That's crazy. We have all these analytics now. And B, he has a power sinker and a power fastball. When you just struck out Paul Goldschmidt on a sinker. And then he loves going soft, 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 soft. To the point where if there's two strikes, I'm turning off the at-bat because you know two things are going to happen. It's going to be a walker. It's going to be hit because he's going to go soft, 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 soft. He threw 12 sliders in the inning until he was pulled after two-thirds because Hedges found an obsession with that, an absolute obsession. I would put that that. on the pitcher because the pitcher could shake it off. But that's Mejia, though. That's a young pitcher who's, you know, you got to Even that, even that. But Mejia is Mejia. I mean, he's just, like you said, a young guy who... Probably is up here before ago, his turn. Time. Tito said to Bauer, "Don't shake off Perez." If he's telling Bauer, "Don't shake off Perez," he's sure as hell telling young pitchers, "Trust what the catcher's putting down." Well, go and back I'm to what you, go back hurt. to what you you just said a minute ago about the analytics. Yes, 
obviously they had information about something about the slider against that player. Well, it was and, free and it may have been and here's here's another scenario, Anthony. And I'm not yeah. I'm not defending Mejia or Hedges here. Is it very well could be that was the only pitch that he could throw for strikes at that time. It wasn't because he had not thrown it for strikes yet in the inning. Well, I can't. You know, it's. I just think he was overmatched against a better team, and that's what happened. You know, these things happen sometimes uh, just because of the matchup. I'm not going to worry about one at bat, one player, but overall, Hedges is known as a good catcher, and I still believe he is. But my point I was trying to make was look what the Indians' depth was this year. They realized they needed depth at catching. So what did they do? They ran out and got two veterans to work with and pitchers I like that at Triple A. Yes. And Rivera now, of course, at the major league level because of the injury to Perez. Now with Hedges on the DL for or the mm-hmm. IL, yep. I should say for the concussions protocol. Mm-hmm. You, you know, here's Lavar away, uh, Larvey up here. So uh, it's amazing. And I like the move to start Lavarnway today. Because most times when you call somebody up within a short period of time, they give them that that first game off, and then the next game they catch them. I love the move to start LeVarnway today behind the plate because Morgan was going, and those two were battery just last week in Columbus. Well, yeah, I think that had something to do with it. Absolutely. And I, and I think also it was a, a night game followed by a day yes. game for a catcher. You usually try to give the starting catcher and the I'll night before this. the day off. And you got to remember... The night before was supposed to be a night off for Rivera. Yes. Yep. And he had it come in as an emergency start yep. when they found out Hedges couldn't go. I'll say this, too, going to Rene Rivera. He's had some clutch hits this year in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. Yes, he's played I mean, turn. he's had some clutch hits that, um, that have helped them win the game. He's not going to have the best arm. But he's not going to kill you defensively with that. Um, he's a veteran, Anthony. These guys, both of them, have been around for over 10 years at the Major League level. These are veteran players. They're not chumps. They may be at the end of their career, meaning they may be every year looking for a new team mm-hmm. to play for or a new organization. But these are guys who long-term are probably lifers in the game. Let me ask you this. And are... The type of guys that you want to be able to pick up at at a moment's notice to, for a position the Indians have designed as purely as a defensive position. Let me ask you this: We're a couple weeks, probably mid uh, second week of July, based off all the information we have from Roberto Perez returning. He's progressed nicely. He's going to start playing in rehab games here soon. Right. Um, do you do what you did in 2016 and keep three catchers? It's possible. I mean... It's possible. Because at some point... Well, here's the thing. No matter what happens... Can and you, I don't know the... the I can't tell you the 100%. Chances are both these catchers at some point will have to be exposed to waivers. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because of One's going to be DFA'd, right. yes. Yeah, it's just... It, 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 must happen. I don't think they have options at this stage in their career. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, 
they their contracts had to be bought at the major league level. Yeah, to put them on the the forty man roster. They and so everything takes time. But yeah, one of them was going to be exposed. Is it very possible that they both end up Columbus? Well, yeah. Or yeah. it's very possible another team may snipe them up when yeah. that happens. It's. But you can't really worry about that because you're in a situation you are today and you needed those players. That's why you went and got depth at that position you, where you were last year were afraid that you didn't have that depth. With the starting pitching the way it is, um, please Zach Strong a bullpen tomorrow. He's starting to do conditioning, his arm, you know, all that. It's but he's still a, a month away. Yeah, I was going to say two, two to three weeks away, but yeah. From bringing rehab starts? From just being maybe back at the major league level. Okay. Um, let's say his his return date July 4th. Let's just use July 4th yeah, as... That's fair. Do you go out and... Because you look at the Indian schedule from now until July 4th. You know, you go to the Pirates, who stink. You go to Chicago for two... Okay, that's tough. Then you play losing teams the rest of the month of June. The, the Royals, the Twins, and the Whites... Or the Tigers... Do you make a trade for starting pitching with somebody on? Like, I'm thinking, the, I'm going to throw his name out, a team. They don't have what we need. But the Yankees need outfield and second base help. Do you trade an Eddie Rosario, maybe, when you have Naylor, Ramirez, Zimmer? No. Um, do you trade a Cesar Hernandez for, no. for starting pitching? No. I. I... I just don't think the Indians are going to make a trade for a starting pitcher this stage in the game. Uh, if this is August, I think they would. Yeah. Or before the trade deadline yeah. scenario, I think it's much because more I think when realistic police... that that could happen. I, I would say this, Anthony. If it would be, it would be a minor league type trade. Yes. Where, meaning it would be very similar to the, what the Indians did when they traded Bowers. Okay, yeah. last week. Seattle wanted Bowers yeah, yes. because they wanted a first they, baseman. They, they needed, needed a first somebody, baseman. Yeah. So instead of going to free agent and potentially yeah. not signing him, they made a deal with the Indians for a cash or a player to yep. be named later. Potentially a player of any caliber might be available from another team where the Indians say, yep. we like his arm. We think he can help us today. And the same type of thing happens, and they make that type of deal. I think that's more realistic than them making a, a, a real trade for a pitcher right now. I think the Indians already basically come out and said it. Is there today is a perfect example? They're not going to stretch out these. Players that's why I was just about to ask you because they want to bring them back in three four days. So because Morgan was pitching phenomenally today, outside of one mistake. Um, when or you know, nice hit. Um, was he pulled? Do you think because you had Mullins coming up and then Mancini with a guy on, or do you think Tito said, you know what, he's given us what we needed, we can take it from here. You don't want to have him go through rotation line for a third time. I think the answer is yes to both. I think the answer is yes that they didn't. Wanted to face they, A, they didn't want him to face what was coming up, mm-hmm. and B, they believed that he did he what did they what needed they... him to do. That they had enough arms left in the bullpen that they believe they had the lead, 
that they could secure it. And they did. And the bats continued to hit. Yeah. So that was a bonus. And my boy Yu Chang. But you know what, though? If Yu Chang can play against the Baltimore Orioles every game, he'd be a starter. The problem is you can't play against the Bob Morrows every game. Well, yeah, you don't play in the East. Uh, if, I mean, you would have still another 10 games yeah. to play on otherwise. Boy, uh, that'd be good for the Indians. Yeah. No, except Camden Yards has not been friendly, but that's all right. It is what it is. Players like Chang, who got off to a terrible start, have a chance to play every week, once or twice a week, and we hope for the best. I mean, you Today was a day game after a night game, mm-hmm. and you're traveling on on a bus to yeah. Pittsburgh after the game. So you wanted to rest your players the best you could. It's just like it was a quasi day off for Ramirez as he got to be a DH. And I today. think it was good today, and it gets them at bats for Hernandez to totally get off his feet, right? Because oh, you, you have could see to. the last couple games where he just looked tired. Well, we're seeing certain players now. I want to say mature into the season. Yes. Okay. I think we're seeing now Zimmer taking over at center field. And he's done a phenomenal job. And he's continues to get he had good at bats again today. Yes. We're seeing the player we've seen in 2017. Yes. Potentially returning. That's what the Indians have missed since 2017 is a center fielder who could be consistent, who can play defensively. Yep. And who can contribute offensively. Uh, I honestly, like today, he had an eight-pitch at bat to start the game. Yes, he did, yep. That's, if he's batting ninth and he's doing that, and you have Hernandez batting one, yep. that's, it changes your lineup completely. If you can get a, a Yu Chang to be successful when he's playing, you know, to move runners, to not strike out, you know, he has the potential to hit the bomb like he hit today. Yeah. Those are good things. The Indians are a weird team. What I mean by that is they have a lot of young players who are going to be up and down on a roller coaster yeah. all year. And you've got a lot of veterans mixed in who can do steady the ship, like Hernandez, like Ramirez, like Rosario. Those are important players on this team. And, you know, Eddie Rosario has 40 RBIs for critics' sakes. He's second his, in the team in RBI. His last month to month and a week, his last five weeks, he's really started to, maybe not the power we all expected per se, but you're seeing the at-bats, the major league quality at-bats get there. And I was um, talking to somebody at the game Tuesday night, um, and I said, if you can just... And thankfully, the offense has not sank since Reyes went down. Because remember, we came into the year thinking, oh boy, there's not much power in this lineup. There's not much pop outside of Fran Mill and Ramirez. Jose. Maybe sprinkle in a couple of Eddie. Um, and he hasn't even had the power. He's only five home runs. Um, but if you can get this ship, keep on the path it's on. Because we're averaging, what, 5.8 runs in June? And that's not going to stay like that. Um, but if you can just keep 
this going until Framel comes back, and by all things, he should be back middle July. I think is what they're saying is, and I don't know the obliques. Weird thing. I couldn't say the oblique a couple years ago and it lingered throughout. But the good thing is, when Framel comes back, you don't have to play him every single game. You can play him and ease him back in. Um, and that top three of the lineup, Hernandez with the power now all of a sudden. Um, Ahmed Rosario is, you pound the lineup, he rolls it, I bet he's going to have a multi-hit game. He is second in the American League in guys in running with Ryan's corpus. He's hitting over 400. Um, Ramirez is Ramirez. He's, I think, as physically as he is good, he might be he, he might be better mentally, which is and, and it still amazes me how teams throw dead right at him inside. That's, uh, but thank you for doing that. And then you have some flexibility, Bradley, and Harold Ramirez has been phenomenal. Um, Eddie Rosario, and then you had Framiel back. Naylor is hitting the ball hard. You have signs of an offense now when Framiel comes back that you have one through six, one through seven, that's pretty tough. And then, as Nimmer, like you mentioned, if you put him in the nine hole and he's going to have eight, nine pitch at-bats. Um, Here's the way I look at it. You had a team that had a lot of changeover coming into the year. You had a cold start of the year temperature-wise. You had players who just never adapted coming from Arizona to Cleveland. And you survived that. You actually had one of your best two-month records ever for the start of a season. You're 10 games over. Yeah. You took a, You have to take advantage of teams that you're supposed to beat. I've said that 100 times in every sport. Baltimore comes to town. You need to win three out of four. You won four out yep. of four. When you go to Baltimore, you want to take two out of three. You took one out of three. These things happen. All right? This is baseball. There's 162 games a year. There are going to be a few clunkers along the way that upset you. You gave up 18 runs against Baltimore. It wasn't the end of the world. You've been no-hitted twice. It's not the end of the world. This is baseball. It's 162 games. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's embarrassing. Yes, you're 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 upset. You know that, you know, something terrible happened to the team that you root for. But in the end, it's just one day out of 162. And you look at all the victories now. You look at, you know, you're what? 38 and 28. Mhm. This is an opportunity to really move forward. You're four and a half games back of probably the best team in baseball right now in the White Sox. Who's missing three studs. Again, it doesn't matter what they're missing or who they have. You're behind them. And you probably will be most of the year. Mm -hmm. They may run into a rut where they lose seven or eight games in a Mm -hmm. row. And you hopefully will be not in a rut at the Mm -hmm. same time. But that's baseball. All you got to do is take it one day at a time. I know it's so so boring to say this, and just move on from today. I think that's the problem. See, this is what Baltimore and Arizona, Pittsburgh, and yeah, are in the problem. They it snowball in the wrong direction. And that's what Tom Hamilton said today. Um, and this is what happens <clears throat> with teams that don't have depth or doesn't have leadership. 
and don't have players who can take them to the next level. That's where you're at. The Indians have, and I've said this for the last 10 years, and I'll continue to say it. It hasn't been quite 10 years, but one of the best managers of all baseball. And he handles players' communication better than any other manager I've ever seen. You could challenge him on the X and O's of a game and how, what pitchers and that. Yeah. But you look at his success rate as a manager at Boston and in Cleveland. And tell me why you're even arguing that. Because you can't. Ten. If he makes a decision that player A faces yeah. player B mm-hmm. and player A doesn't come through, that's okay because 95% of the time he's going to be right. Tim, I still have a friend that will not watch Indians because he does not like Terry Francona. And I can't grasp my head around it. Well, because pro- the only way the Indians are afloat right now is because of him. Terry Francona took over in 2013, and the Indians have yet the to second, have a losing record. They're the second, they have the second most wins in baseball, I think. Yeah, I think that it might be the first. The Dodgers? Actually, the first, I believe. I think it's the best American League team, and I okay. think because the Dodgers won 100 games. Yeah, the Dodgers have been on fire the last four or five years, so um, you're right about that. But, but I don't think it's like a big gap between them and the Dodgers. I think no. it's like a couple games between them and the Dodgers. Um, there are managers that make a difference in the game. Terry Francona sees the big picture. Thank you for saying that, because there are a lot of people, and even I got in an argument at work last week that said, oh, a manager doesn't make that big a deal in baseball. Coaching makes a difference in every sport. Yes. It's when you recognize that coach is overmatched yes. or can't control the situation he's in, that well, you, you run into problems. You mean the one we watched in football this year? Yeah. I digress. No, but no, yes. but that's, yes. that's a legitimate... Doug Phillips may come out to be a very good coach. What happened this past spring may be a launching pad for him to learn from what transpired and to become a better coach and have his team prepared for the fall. We'll find out. But, I mean, he could have literally learned a lot from what ha- what transpired this past spring. Yes. Under very unique situation circumstances, but... All the teams at that level played yes. through the same thing. So it doesn't matter. My point is, we'll find out what he's learned and what he hasn't mm-hmm. in the fall. Because we get to grade him again come September. Yes. By the and, way, a plug. Ice Cost Report returns September 4th. There you go. And that's my whole point. Is we'll get a chance to find out. I mean, I give him a failing grade for the spring. Absolutely 100% fail. I'll, I'll give him a D-. minus. Oh, and then that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, and, uh, that's what they earned. Yeah, yeah. He's earned my distaste. Yes. Yes. And I've, I said it all year. I tried to defend him early, give him all these things. I flat out wonder if he if, if he's overmatched. We'll find out come spring. But I it's mean, like, we'll come out, excuse me. We'll find out come fall. But this past spring was any indication? I'm not optimistic. A D minus is 60%. And F59. So there's not much difference. No, you got 59% or 60%, you know? Exactly. It's just a letter. It's just a letter. Um, In other words, are you you concerned? If you're a YSU football Penguin fan, are you concerned? The answer is yes. I'm almost to the point of, and we haven't kicked off the season yet, I'm almost to the point of pushing the panic button. 
look at how bad it was. Well, well like I said, we we'll really see. will find out by October. We'll know. I think you know before that, but yes. Well, but yeah. I'm giving him yes. the first two months of the season. We'll know by the end of October if, if this can person yes. can do the job necessary mm-hmm. for that program. We're learning still about the basketball program because there's such changeover every year. And that's something you've talked about for years. And it's every coach has dealt with this. How he deals with it, we'll find out. You look at the Indians, mm-hmm. the stability. We're just talking about yes. stability in a program yep. or an organization. Yep. And look at the stability the Indians organization has had for the last 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. either when Mark Shapiro was running it or now that we have Antonetti running it. I mean, it's the same organizational skills have been there. Different people, different mm-hmm. thought processes, yep. but the same basic philosophy has is, is grown. And we've seen this pro, uh, this organization rise and fall. Yes. And get well, some, some, some valleys come out of it. And now we've seen really a plateau and a rise. The valleys. With, with the Francona era. Yes. With the, the plateau is 500. Yes. The rise is the highest of the World Series, Game 7. The valleys, too, are not as low as exactly they have been in the You're past. You're not going below the, the, below the Mondanza line yes. and coming back up. You're not a complete rebuild Well, here's mode. the thing that I texted my cousin a little, ago, a little bit ago before we got in the air. Um, and he listened to the game today, and he was keeping me updated with what Hammy was saying. As it's, it, it's difficult to know the whole story. Just watching the game tracker line, I have to go home and watch the game tonight. Yes, I am one of those sickos that will rewatch the baseball game tonight. Um, and I texted him. I said, you know, he, he made the point when Ramirez hit the uh, the home run, or no, when he had the uh, field choice from the RBI. He said, not a great couple games for Jose, but he's still getting it done. And I said, Jose's having an All Star season. It's criminal. He's fourth in the voting right now. I don't care about it. I don't. I, I take no stock into that. It's nice thing out there, but we haven't seen the month stretch yet of Jose Ramirez being locked in where he's hitting over four hundred, and that's coming. And we've seen really good stretches of Jose. June's been phenomenal for Jose. May was pretty dang good. April was good. We haven't seen that month stretch yet. We know it's coming. You was talking about peaks and valleys. Do you remember when he gets called up in 15? He was terrible. I mean, the valleys were really low. And then even into 16 and 17, and even just in 19, we sat here on the back patio when he was hitting like 180, 200, and we're like, oh, boy. Yeah. You know, and it was like, and even the valley... Like, the value for him today, one for five into your eyes. That's a hell of a game for most players. For Jose Ramirez, that's a, eh. It's a good day. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, you're correct. I mean, Jose Ramirez, anybody who knows baseball knows that he is a top five player in the game, period. And he used to get more national recognition than he does. You'll never get it in Cleveland. It's never going to happen. No player in Cleveland gets that type of recognition. If he was in Chicago, 
If he was in New L.A., yep. if he was in New York, even if he was in Houston, they would get the publicity. Mm-hmm. The smaller market teams are not going to get it. Mike Trout doesn't get nearly the publicity nope. he does because the Angels are just a so-so organization. Yep. Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. Second best player in baseball, you can legitimately, right now, I'll give you two players. Should you Tony Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I was going to say, yeah, Ramirez and, and yep. Gladdy. And say, take your pick. You can make... And then three. And then you you really have two A, B, and C. You know, Otani... Yeah. I wasn't... Otani's so different, though. And, and you've I mean, been on the Otani thing since he came up. You've oh. been real high on him. And I was like, ah, he'll be good. But watching him against Cleveland... And, and it's tough to watch him consistently because that's a late start for them most nights here on the East Coast. He's special. I mean, he's incredible. He's different. There right, are great different. athletes, and I say athletes, but those who can perform at high level and do unique things yes. in all sports. What he's achieving oh. as a pitcher and as a batter is beyond comprehension yep. at this level right. in 2021. Uh, you have to protect his arm. You, so yeah. he can't start every five days. No. But that's all right. Do you, if you build your pitching staff, the idea that you need six starters, yep, and one guy yep. is going to be a, a kind of a floater, yes, and that floater might be Otani, that floater may be someone else who goes yep. with it, and they have the right manager for him. Mm-hmm. You're I right. Think, I think you know. Quite honest with you, there are other players who could probably be successful being offensive players or pitchers. Yes. But the philosophy of organizations would not allow. That's why the Indians never got in the bidding war for Otani. Even yep. though Otani was available to yes. them. And because he was foregoing free agency to do mm-hmm. this by entering the way yes. he did, it was never. He could have had a five year contract with the Indians, six years deal. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. And it would have been very affordable for the Indians to do. Mm-hmm. But the Indians' philosophy is you're a pitcher or you're a hitter, you're yep. not both. Yeah, but that's told Zach Plesak that. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Plesak would love that opportunity. Uh, and he'd probably do it pretty well. Right. And there's been others in in the National League who are yeah. good hitting pitchers. Baumgartner's pretty good. Baumgartner is a perfect You example. know who was really good was Mike Hampton for the Braves. Yeah. There have been many who can do it. They're good athletes. They they love the game. They, they studied yes. and became good quality hitters. It can be done. It's just not important to organizations to have a pitcher who can hit. That's why you don't see it, especially ever since the DH entered the game mm-hmm. back in the yep. 70s. Now, here we are. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, here we are with a, a unique scenario of a player who came from, uh, from Japan mm-hmm. who had the ability to do both. And... He's a five-tool player. Not only does he have the amazing arm, he can run. Yep. He can hit. He can hit for power. Yep. He can steal bases. Uh, truth of the matter is, he could probably play the outfield. Yes. But because he's a pitcher, they don't want no. him exposed to the walls and all that. And he has been in the outfield a few times If you this made year him an everyday pitched. outfield, he could probably lead the league in outfield assists. Well, he played outfield in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. So... Look, there are amazing athletes out there who can do a lot of different things. And getting back to coachings, yes, you know, uh, 
we talk about Terry Francona and our amazement mm-hmm. of uh, really what he does, how good he is at it. There are other coaches that are at that level. Mm-hmm. A perfect example is Jurgen Klopp for the mm-hmm. for Liverpool. This past year, they had nothing but injuries. They won the championship the year before, and they were an absolute yep. at one point kind of disaster zone, mm-hmm. you know, where they would not finish in the top four, which gives them into the league the championships, yeah. or the European championships the following year. And they fought through it. They got this. They had. They lost at home, which they never mm-hmm. did. They had a losing streak at home, which never happens. Mm-hmm. All these bad things, you know, scenarios came about. But when the chips were down and they had to win out to secure their, their position, mm-hmm. In the top four, they ended up third, and they won six games. And yeah, it took a miraculous win mm-hmm. where they they brought the goalie up at the last second, and he mm-hmm. actually got the goal, to, yeah. you know, to keep the winning streak alive and the, and the dream alive. But that's coaching. Uh, you get that. Uh, there are ma- Scotty Bowman, yes, in in the NHL, wherever he went, he, he won. won. Yep. Because, A, he's just that impressive of a person who can get the most out of his players and puts his players in positions to win. As much as you may hate Bill Belichick, he does yep. it. You know, and there are others. Uh, Pete Carroll has proven yep. his, his ability to coach. I mean, poor Pete Carroll, prior to getting the job at USC, had two jobs at the NFL level. And both lasted one year. Yeah. He got fired after one year for no reason of his own, you know, both Mm -hmm. times. And it took a long time for him to to recover from that. But he went to, you know, beginning of the 2000s, went to USC, Mm -hmm. rebuilt that program, won national titles, was the best program in college football before Alabama's rise. Once he left, Alabama rise. What a shock. Yeah, I know. Uh, And then look at what he's done in Seattle. <clears throat> there are some really good coaches out there who do a phenomenal job. And organizations go through changes. And I'm going to bring up, uh, you know, I've talked, to, I haven't really talked a lot about it this year, but the AFL. Yeah. And I, I'm a Collingwood Magpie fan, right? Well, Collingwood went through an upheaval this year. And it needed to happen yeah. for a lot of reasons. They had problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, systematic uh, racism mm-hmm. charges and everything yeah. else within within their system. Well, the president of that club finally resigned, you mm-hmm. know, forced out. It took a while. Well, when you get upheaval, you have change. You have the opportunity to make change. Yep. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Nothing against Buckley. I like Buckley. I think he's a great coach for the AFL mm-hmm. and he's from what I know and he had a phenomenal career too as a player but his career as the head coach for Collingwood came to end last week it had to because the organization's changing mm-hmm. sometimes you have to let go of things as hard as it is to start over to give a mm-hmm. new fresh look and not everything is easy in every sport or every organization. That's what we were talking about earlier. When you find that diamond, 
you do everything you can to give that yes. guy the op or yes. that person the opportunity to shine. Terry Francona is a diamond that the Indians yes. got a gift from Boston. Oh, we were, and that gift started before he became. You know, it goes all the way back when he got fired from Philadelphia. Yes, and he came to Cleveland for a year. And it was funny because I remember that was the same time the Indians were in transition. Yes. And they ended up with Wedge, which I was never a big Eric Wedge mm-hmm. fan. Never. No. Thought no. he was not the right person to be hired. That was Mark Shapiro. That yep. was something I never forgave Mark Shapiro yep. for. Eric Wedge has had a very successful career as a manager. Yes. I don't take anything away from him. He's proven. He got to the LCS here for a yeah, bit, yeah. And, and even in Seattle, yeah. he did well. I don't take anything away from his abilities because I fundamentally disagree with a lot of his decisions. But I'm just a fan. Yeah. My what I was going on to say is one of the discussions I had with one of my best friends at the time is, and we were talking. He goes, and this was the Indians already have their guy. And I looked at him. I go, "What are you talking about?" He goes. They got Francona in the in the, Fran, in, in the organization. I says, "Holy shit! Why isn't he on the list?" This was before yeah. he went to Boston. Yeah. Of course, next thing you know, he went to Boston. And, and he beat us and, in the ALCS. Well, yeah. well, needless to say, the the value of yeah. that person and what he meant to Boston yep. and winning two World Series and everything else proves that when Boston let him go because Boston's Boston's like New York. Yep. He was out of baseball for a year. Mm-hmm. The Indians had were in transition, yeah, and it was the perfect opportunity, the perfect place for him to land, and hopefully it will land in a World Series championship someday. I truly do believe he has the ability to take us back there. And it takes talent on the field. It doesn't just take talent in the manager dugout, but special coaches, managers are special. And you, when you get something on that level, you don't want to let go. And no matter what the scenario is in Boston today, Bill Belichick's never going to leave no. the Patriots. No. All right? Because that is, they know he's their golden goose. Liverpool, as tough as that job is for coaches or for managers... Mm-hmm. They would be foolish to ever let Jurgen Klopp go without a fight. Same thing with the Indians with Francona. Same thing with, you can talk about other. Everyone can talk about Tony La Russa mm-hmm. and why were they bringing a 79-year-old man to manage. Well. He wins. Yeah. He wins. You may not... Well, my, my whole point everything. is, look, who's in first place right now? The White Sox are. You may disagree with his old school philosophies yep. and everything else, but you know what? He's he a wins. winner. Yep. Now, grant you, players play. I've always said that. You're only as good as the players you put on the field, but your manager also makes a big difference. Oh, yes, it does. Yep. And if he's there for one season, if he's there for five seasons, I have no idea. Um. If the White Sox this year go on to win the World Series and he retires yep. again. It's worth it. It was absolutely worth it. 
but that's just the way it works. Some people are that special. Mm-hmm. Tony La Russa is special. He proved that his value, not just in Oakland, but, but, but in St. Well. Louis. And he's showing it again now with the White Sox. I think the Dodgers have a special man. And I didn't and think... Dave Roberts, yeah. yeah. When Dave Roberts got hired, I was like, really? I was wrong. I mean, I think... He's phenomenal. He, well, I think he learned a lot from playing from Terry Francona. Yep. Oh, yes. Yep. And, and you can see it. Yeah. Well, again, coaching to me is about about communications today and believing in a player and knowing when to get on a player or how to get on each player differently. And it is a special breed to do it. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot. Not It's not just evaluation of players' play. It's how do you handle that person as a person and all sports. Mm-hmm. And you're best coaches for the most part are great communicators yep. Bill Belichick is not a great communicator with the press but the players, but the players know where they stand with him and that's all they ask and you know you'll have your up and downs mm-hmm. with coaches all players do but in the end most coaches outlive co- players on the field and, mm-hmm. and it's, just, it's just the way it works so yeah when you have someone special, you can't let them go. I don't care what sport you're in. And when you have an opportunity to make change and, and really affect an organization, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to look at the entire atmosphere of a, of a program mm-hmm. or a organization and have a philosophy of where you want that team to go. Not just win, but what they represent and how they handle themselves and what you want out of them on a daily basis. The collegiate level, that's so important. Jim Trussell was that type of person. At Ohio State, at Youngstown Mm -hmm. State. He's that type of a leader as president of Youngstown State. He may not be the best president in the world, but he does his job and he does it effectively. And he knows what he's doing. He knows how to affect the university. And that's in in a positive way. That's what you want. I don't care what you do in life. That's what you want. You, We've all had managers and supervisors we've worked for. We know which ones know how to handle yep. people and which ones don't. And which ones get performances out of a player, people that you don't know or yep. see. And then when a certain manager or supervisor leaves, the production changes yep. completely. Uh-huh. And it's usually not for the better. Well, that works out that way in sports, too. And I can't make a better conversation than that. I can't put it in better yeah, terms. No, no we, we are, um, and I remarked this Tuesday night walking out of the stadium, uh, just how, you know, we're lucky to have Tito. Uh, I mean, we are really lucky to have Tito because with everything we've gone through, we've had, we have two starting catchers hurt. You know, it's just, and it's not just this year either. You know, you look back to 2016, and you had your all-star left fielder hurt. You had your all-star catcher hurt. You had three-fifths of your starting rotation was out. And you had veterans who people cast off in Coco Chris and Brandon Geyer who just, and all of a sudden you look up, 
and are the hottest team in baseball and were a foot away from winning the World Series. Anthony, I'm going to ask you something, some question. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me a lot about Terry Francona. It tells you how you handle adversity. Yes. I've talked about this before on the podcast. Handling adversity in any sport or anything in life is is the most important thing you can learn how to do. I'm not saying I'm great at it, Mm -hmm. uh, any stretch of the imagination. But handling adversity, managing that adversity and not panicking, having a plan, Mm -hmm. seeing the big picture is what it's all about. Terry Francona proved that in 2016 with the run the Indians had, as you mentioned, all yes. the injuries in the playoffs. And with two-fifths two of a starting staff, yeah. he killed him to Game 7 of the World Series. And your fifth star was Josh Tomlin. It's not like he was using Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco. He was using right. you know, Josh Tomlin. And, and you had a young, J, uh, a young Bauer, who gets injured yeah. on a on a drone, a drone yeah, before in the World Series, yeah. you know. So it's one of those things in life. Uh, I, how you handle adversity will show you more than anything the merit of a coach. That's why I'm curious to see how Doug Phillips handles. He has had adversity to start his career at Youngstown yes. State. We're gonna find out this fall how he handled it and how he grew or did he not does he not grow from it and that's the key going forward for his success we'll see how he handles it you know because the adversity is not over yet he he had covid a new job roster turnover a whole new coaching staff that all except for one had coached at his level before and then by the way as the season ended is there there was the Notice of allegation from the NCAA about recruiting and recruiting, you know, a violation from the old coaching staff. So now he has to find better talent, but also under the two, three years that they are under this. Um, so we're going to see uh, how do you manage adversity? What kind of person and what kind of coach he is? Um, because, like you mentioned, his first test, he failed. How you handle adversity matters in all sports and in general in life. Some of us handle it great. Some of us don't. Some of us will find our way through it Mm -hmm. and learn from it for the next time they're better at it. Yep. None of us are perfect. But when you look at the world of sports, how you handle adversity matters. That's how you separate the winners from losers. Well, that's exactly where it comes down to. And I've said this many times. Adversity can be a lot of different ways. Yep. The Indians pitching staff and all the injuries they've had is adversity. How Brian Shaw handles adversity is amazing. The guy continues to bounce back. There's a reason why I got a whole whole stash of asses at home. Well, my point is... Players will face adversity. How they handle it will will define their career. I will say this. Um, I was not a fan of bringing Brian Shaw back. I w- and we sat right here on the porch when he was signed. And yeah. I was like, ooh, I don't like that at all. I just don't. Um, and on the field, he gives me a lot of heart attacks. 
Um, but I loved his mindset Wednesday night. No, Monday night when they found out the news of Bieber. He said, we had a meeting as a bullpen. I said, each one of you has to be ready to go every day. You're not going to be used every day. And I don't want to say it's a blessing because losing four-fifths of your starting rotation from bullpen day, not ideal. Now, granted, two of them were because of... Inefficiency, uh, yeah. Inefficiencies. And both, I hope, don't see the major leagues here because they're not ready yet. Don't rush them. Do not stunt their development by bringing back that story for another day. Um, this adversity they're facing now with all the injuries and the starting pitching, it, basically, you're piecing together each day as you go along. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know what Starry's going to bring. We don't know what Sunday's going to bring until the day before. Um, this situation they're going through right now with four plays of rotation out, it almost, it, it does force them to focus on each individual inning. Just get to the inning, we'll get to the game, and we'll try to win today's game, and we'll focus on tomorrow's inning, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it's very easy, like you mentioned, in a 162-game season, to the day-to-day stuff kind of gets old after a while. You want to focus on the long run. And you mentioned why some organizations are not good. And why some teams fall out of position because they focus too much on October instead of focusing on the day-to-day. Look, like you said, it's boring. It's the oldest cliche in sports. Focus on today. We'll focus on tomorrow or tomorrow. It is the oldest thing in the books. It's boring. People don't want to hear it. I, I asked somebody to ask me today where to go. Oh, you can ready for the playoffs? I said, let's focus on today. Tomorrow we'll focus on tomorrow. Saturday we'll focus on Saturday. And we'll see where we go. It's a grind. It's, bo- it, it, it's boring and it's a grind. But I think if there's one silver lining, my grandma always said find the silver linings in life out of the bad things. This is a silver lining to just focus on today. Do your best today. We'll see what we got tomorrow. That's all you can do. Uh, I look at the Indians. Their pitching is still their strength. Even though they don't have the starting I'll staff. I'll disagree with that right now. Well, wait a minute. Let me make my point. It is their strength on this level. The strength is because you have Terry Franconi running it. Yes. Yes. Thus, he sees yes. beyond just today. Yep. He sees the whole week in front of him and what it needs to be done. He also is getting updates on the players yes. who are going to be coming back and when they'll be due back and what he can do. He will make on-the-fly adjustments like Rivera coming in and playing yes. last night or Lavre coming mm-hmm. up today and playing. Those type of things he can handle every day. It's understanding in-game how he was going to manage it. It's like Hedges came in, you know, in the seventh inning, and Tom Hamilton was talking about, well, wouldn't it be great if he finishes at the game? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that didn't happen because no. Mayton came in, and every, uh, yes. and then you had the ninth inning. But my point is, he decided then when he made his move in the fourth inning. Yes. What his lineup will probably look at, and that's what the great managers do. Because now he knows he can go back to those players. If someone fails in the second inning, which almost happened today in the first inning with the line drive off the pitcher, and I did not know it was as serious until I read the uh, post game recap. That's what I'm saying. You just you have to be able to adjust on the fly 
and also recognize what you have to do in the future. And let me. And sometimes it takes. It takes a fall to get back up. Yes, and hopefully, the players that are be coming back, like Plezak and others, you know Bieber, yes. will be better, good, and strong going forward. And I have good faith that they will be. Uh, I look at facing adversity again. We talked about him earlier, Bradley Zimmer. Yeah. All the adversity he's faced the last three years. Now he has a chance to reclaim his position as a center fielder and a starter. Mm-hmm. We'll see exactly what goes. But we're seeing that the glimpse of the possibility of him becoming our everyday center yes. fielder going forward. And here's a guy who, if he can bat 260, 270. I'll even re- say 250. Oh, I'm just, yeah. yeah. Let's just put 260, 270 out there. He's going to get on base. And with his speed, yep. and believe it or not, if he develops the way he did in the minors coming up, there will be some power. Yes. There. Yeah, you saw it when he first came up in 2017. Right. Yes. So my point is, that player, if he returns to what we've seen in 2017, that's a huge advantage. That's a facing adversity coming over. Yes. Facing adversity is, is like I mentioned, Shaw. Shaw was left Cleveland and fell apart. Yeah. Three years, never had any good years. He's back. You look at his ERA. It's 2.14, 35 strikeouts. He's appeared in 30 games. Didians have only played 67, 68 games. Yeah, 66, yeah. He's appeared in almost half of them. So has uh, the back end end of the bullpen, too. But my point is, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why you go to these guys, because they can get the job done. They're not going to get it done every game. Shaw's going to fail, and it's going to frustrate you. Karinchek will fail. It's going to frustrate you. Klaus is going to fail. It's going to frustrate me. Yes. And I was thinking that Tuesday night when he came in the game, and I'm like, it's 7-2. to We don't need him in the game. He's already pitched the day before when he looked lights out. Um, and I, I almost texted you, but my phone was about to die, and I'm like, "Buckle up, Tim! Here he comes!" Right? Because I'm talking to my aunt. I go, "You can't bring in Class A. Or you're up, you're up five. And she goes, "No, I, I think you're gonna bring him in here because he's gonna win the day with folks on tomorrow, tomorrow." And I almost texted you saying, "Man, I hope you got your aunt assets ready because." But you know what, though? Last night when he came in the game, I bought one thousand grams. Yeah, man, did you have the uh, (laughs) Pepsi and the Zantac and the Omepras all ready to go? I passed up the 500 uh, (laughs) tubs and went went, right right for the 1,000. I tell you what, and and because that, I believe, and I can't remember, um, that was Mullins, Mancini, and Galvis, too. That wasn't the, you know, so that was the, and uh, you're right, but when he comes in the game, it kind of gets me a little, oh, boy. But I will say this. As much as I was racking on the slider earlier and the off-speed pitches consistently, he started to develop his off-speed pitches, and he's throwing it. And I'm not throwing it. He's trusting it a little more. And when you throw an off-speed pitch with conviction, like we've seen with Bieber and Karinczak, and I love the job by Karinczak to start hitters off curveball and then go right for the heat, they can't hit that. I mean, he 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 is so. I tell a man all the time. I go, 
Karen Jack went to the Mike Clevenger school of pitching, where it's quirkiness and fidgeting, and he can't stop moving, but it's curveball, fastball, and he's going to blow you away. Yeah. Um, I can't disagree with that. And you made the point a cup when he when Classe struggled against the Reds and we gave up three runs in the ninth inning to lose the game, and you said a uh, hundred is very tough to hit. It's easier to hit when there's nothing else to watch out for, and we saw that. And that's. And now he's starting to mix in the off-speed pitch right. a little more. You have to be able to throw strikes. No matter if you're a bullpen pitcher, you have to go in and throw strikes. If you end up walking players, you're in trouble. And that's right? gotten and us then, in trouble sometimes this year. If you fall behind, you're coming. You you're going to hit more of the heart of the plate, yep. and you're going to get hit. Yep. And it doesn't matter how hard you throw, you're going to get hit yep. because these are, you know, major league hitters. What Class A has done the last couple weeks is like you mentioned, is his slider, his cutter, yes. is actually Moving, he's throwing yes. him more for strikes. If he can get ahead of a hitter, it's that much harder for them to hit. Yeah. The thing with him is he's not a strikeout pitcher. No, you're right. And a lot of people think he is. Yes, he really he's, isn't. He's not there yet. And I'm not sure he'll ever get there at, at the rate that people believe he should be. But you know what, though? If he goes one inning and he makes 10, 15 pitches and he gets three ground ball outs, I don't care. Right. The question with him is he usually takes yes. 22 to yes. 25 pitches. Yes. 28 and that's pitches. what we saw Tuesday night. And then you can't yes. use him the next night. Mm-hmm. And that's why you know it kind of makes it frustrating. If you use him two nights in a row, you really got to give him a third yes. night off. Or if you use him like they did three days in a row. Then you got to get the next yeah, two You have to give him time right. off, like today. Uh, these are these are the growing pains of a young pitching staff. Class A could five years from now be fantastic. It's, we don't know yet. I like I said, he's the guy who frustrates me the most. Yes, of all the, but I understand why they like him, and I can understand why they way they use him. I would rather see. Karen Jack in the ninth, but it doesn't really matter. No, because, because if it sets up the the bullpen properly, yes. you use them both. Well, and that's what Terry Francona has really done. Yes, the numbers may show Class A with more saves, but the opportunities are about the same in the ninth inning. And I'll piggyback off that comment. Um, saves to most people are the ninth inning, tenth inning when you're winning. That's it. Terry Francona in 2016, I think, kind of reinvented the definition of save when he said, you know what? If it's the like the fifth inning against Boston in game one, he went to Andrew Miller because he felt right there and then that was a well, save. When you have a shutdown Indians. pitcher yes. like that, you take advantage of it. And, 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 and as a shutdown pitcher who could give you multiple yes. innings like Miller did, it changes the ball well, game, especially in the playoffs. And that was proven over and over again that that entire And even this playoff. year, I think if we got the top of the order up or a tough portion of the lineup up in the eighth inning, even seventh inning, Tito might go to Karinchak and view that's the game right there. If I can get through this portion of the lineup with the lead and go to the ninth inning, it's over. Because right then and there, I've saved the game. 
I think we're at seventy percent level, meaning that we anytime the Bron- or excuse me, anytime the Indians have the lead after the eighth inning, you feel pretty confident that they're going to win. Yeah, um, I think it's seventy seventy five percent of the chance. Yeah, it might be a little bit better than that. Numbers might show better than that, but that's where I put it right after now. The- because they both of them are going to have their days where they fail. Yes. And we've seen it, and it's going to happen yes. again. But we're also going to see... Them succeed. Yes. And I'll point to this. Um, James Karinczak, the last two times before this previous time, in extra innings, has given up three run home runs. And, they, and they've lost. Um, but the game in April against the White Sox in extra innings, the game against Minnesota... Um, in extra innings on Saturday here, and then a game a couple weeks or a couple of days ago, um, Karen Chat came in in the tenth inning and frozen right there a second. And that um, look, He's, you with Emmanuel Clase is going to give you heartburn. Me with Brian Shaw is going to give me heartburn. But I think we can both say, if the game gets to the eighth inning and the Indians are winning. We feel pretty confident we're going to win the ball game. I I totally agree. Um, and it's not and and I'll be the first one to admit it's really difficult to you know get through the ride. We know the ride is coming. It's not going to be as long as we're an Indians fan. We're we are not going to have shut down late innings. It's not going to happen. Jose Mesa didn't do it. Chris Perez didn't do it. Joe Rowski didn't do it. Cody Allen didn't do it. It's not going to happen. But, like you said, more often than not, we're going to get the job done. There's no question. It might be scary, and we're going to ride the tightrope, and we're going to be popping toms and asses left and right, but I'd rather have this problem than the problem we had in 05-06 where we were going with Yugith Urbina and Fausto Carmona as our closer. Well, again. And Jensen Lewis for a couple games. The the town level is... is is much better than it was back in that time. Yeah. And we're seeing the era of Jerry Francona era and the Antonetti era really show mm-hmm. its ability to, to recognize good talent and, and bring it in and try to maximize yep. it. And for the most part, we've seen that and we'll continue to see that. I can't, I can't imagine that changing anytime soon. Anthony, I don't know what else to talk about. I don't either. And I really enjoyed this podcast, um, A, because you and I love talking baseball. We're baseball purists. Um, And I'll be honest, there is not a lot of people I can talk to outside of you and my aunt who can talk baseball in June. Because right now it's already football talk at work. They have sailed past baseball. They're on to football. Right, so you guys are supposed to be pretty good this year in football. But... To me, it's baseball season, and I'm going to focus on the next 96 games or where we got left. And There's plenty of football to be talking, yes, including, exactly. including the GDFL, yes. which I didn't get to. If you get this podcast before Saturday the 19th, tune into YouTube. Just search 12 Ounce Sports. It'll be live on YouTube. It'll be live on Twitter. It'll be live on Facebook. Uh, it'll be archived on uh, YouTube. Uh, 12 ounce sports as Ohio Gladiators take on the Ohio Elite Outlaws. And what time is that? At 7 p.m. 7 o'clock. So, yeah, if you stay with us this long, check that out uh, on the 19th. 
All right, for Anthony, I am Tim. Have a great day, everyone. We'll talk to you soon right here on Radio MVP.